every school had one. Um, I, I bet everyone here, if you think back, can can remember, and and your answer would be, yep, yeah, we had one. Hopefully, no one here today is that person. No one will will point at uh, at you this morning when I mention what I'm talking about. But every every school had one. Every school had a bully. Do you remember the name of the, the bully from your school? Anyone raise it? No one? No one? Had, thank you. It was you? Okay. Adam was his own bully. So, uh, well, that's rough when you just can't ever get away from that bully when you bully yourself. But, but I remember the bully from my school. Actually, it was from my class. His name was Fred, Fred Feaster. I remember Fred. He, he was mean and he was a bully and you learn pretty quick uh, in elementary school to stay away from where Fred was at. So so Fred pretty much hung out in one hallway and so you did your best to stay away from that hallway at least by yourself. You didn't want to be with be alone down that hallway. So so you learned that if Fred was going to be one place, you tried to make sure that you were in a different place. It it just makes sense to not put yourself where the bully was. That, that's why, that's why it's just a little bit shocking for me to, to see Jesus and to see what he did. See, you would have thought Jesus, you would have thought he had known better. You, you would have thought that Jesus would have understood how things worked. You would have thought that Jesus would have already identified who the bullies were and then made sure he steered clear of them. Uh, why didn't Jesus say the bully's going that way, so I'm going to go this way? Here's, here's the reality, though. Jesus knew who the bullies were. He knew where they were, and he knew that they were expecting him to come. They, they expected him to show up. And, and why, why wouldn't he? It was only the biggest day of the year. In fact, it actually was the biggest week of, of, of the year. Everyone, if they had the opportunity, was going to be in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, you, you had to make it a annual uh, pilgrimage, and, and if you couldn't do it every year, at least as often as you could. The, the city streets of Jerusalem would be packed with people, hundreds of thousands of guests, maybe, maybe well over a million people were going to be there. And, the bullies knew that Jesus would be one of them, and they were ready. That they had already busied themselves with making plans and setting traps and preparing scenarios, and 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 they were pretty sure that Jesus wouldn't be quiet. They were pretty sure that he wouldn't he wouldn't be low key or anonymous in the crowd. They they knew that he would be in the temple. They knew that he would be teaching and that he would be talking. That he would be touching people and he'd be taking care of business. And they were ready. And Jesus knew it. Why, why didn't he? Why, why didn't, in, instead of going south to Jerusalem, why didn't he go north to Galilee? Instead of joining the crowds in the city, why didn't he go to the coast where he could be alone? Instead of, instead of going where they were preparing to entrap him, why didn't he go hang out with a friend and enjoy some safety and solitude? Well, the, the reality is he didn't because he knew. 
because he knew what was going to happen. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So he knew what the bullies were going to do. Why did he go? Now, now the short answer, the, the real answer there is Jesus went because he knew the bullies were there and he knew what they were going to do. Uh, today, I'm going to start a series that will run uh, through Easter Sunday. And, and we will look at, not every day, but we will look at the last week of Jesus' life. We'll, we'll look at some of the days during the last week of his life. And, and so as we start this series, we see Jesus literally heading down the hallway where the bullies hung out. And we'll look about what happens there. So today we, today we look at Sunday. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And this is going to talk about what happened on Sunday. Mark 11, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem. Now, let me, let me just point out, they had spent the night before in Bethany. Bethany was the home where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, and, and John tells us they had spent the night there. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in a street tied to a doorway. As they untied it, the people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? But they answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and, and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, now let me clarify a couple things. Just, just kind of, I think you probably know this, but just so that we're all on the same page. This, this happened on Sunday, but but their Sunday was like our Monday. Uh, their holy day was Sabbath, so Saturday. That was the day, the day of rest, the day of worship, the day dedicated to God. So, so when the Sabbath ended and Sunday started, that was the start of their work week. So, so when we see Sunday, kind of in your mind, think, well, that would be, you know, that would be like our, our, our Monday. And let me give you just a little bit more, uh, background, uh, particularly about this story. Uh, we, we have four gospels. I, I think you probably know this, but, but the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four books written by these four guys that tell us the story of Jesus. Now, now each of the four gospels are, are, are independent. They don't share all the same stories. Four, four guys wrote about their experience with Jesus from, from different perspective and they told different stories and, and, and so four different ways of writing. So we have four Gospels. Uh, some of the Gospels have stories that are only contained in that one Gospel. Some of the stories 
about Jesus might be in two Gospels, or they might be in three Gospels. But it would, would it surprise you to know that there are only five stories in all of the Gospels. So all the stories about Jesus, all of his teaching, all of his interactions with people, there are only five times that all four Gospels talk about it. One of them, and this is really a very generic thing, one of them is that Jesus preached in, Gal- uh, uh, in Galilee. Uh, some of them expand on that, some of them don't. It's just kind of a generic thing that Jesus went to Galilee. The other, the, the next story was what that was included in all four Gospels was when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and fish. Uh, then we see that all of them include a story about the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was arrested, uh, the, the com- giving of the Lord's Supper, the last, uh, or what for us is communion and and the events of the Last Supper, sitting down and eating that with them. Then obviously all of them include his, I'll lump this together, his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Those those are the stories that are in all four Gospels. And the only other one that's in all four Gospels is this story. The We, we call it, in, in, in your Bibles, maybe your Bible has a note about it, we call it the triumphal entry. It's it's referred to that. But all four Gospels have this story. I wonder why. Why, why did they why did they include this story? Of all the things Jesus did, said, taught, miracles, why why was this one included in all four Gospels? Well, it's an exciting story. There's there's some drama to it. There's certainly intrigue. There's pomp and circumstance. But, but in this story, on this day, there's no teaching. There's no miracle. There's no earth-shattering event. So why? Why? Why in all four Gospels? I, I think the very fact that it's in all four should tell us, hey, there's something important. There's something deeper about this story. Now, no, let me just be honest. I'm not sure why they included it. Uh, when we get to heaven... You, when you get to heaven, you can find uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pull them aside and say, guys, why did you include this story? Then you'll know for sure. But but let me suggest two possible reasons. Uh, and maybe it's a combination of both. But two possible reasons that he included all uh, th- this story in all four Gospels. One of them is this, the the contrast. The the bold, sweeping contrast we see, we see from Sunday to the end of the week. This was the first time that Jesus allowed himself to be seen as a king. Did you realize that? Uh, all the other times Jesus kind of played it low-key. Now, it's kind of tough to be low-key when you're bringing people back to life, when you're touching uh, blind people and they're getting their sight. It's kind of hard to stay low-key. But but Jesus never allowed people to treat him like a king. One time they tried to do that, so they literally tried to take him by force and make him king, and Jesus literally just disappeared. Just kind of whoop, and he was was gone. But but this is the first time. This is the first time that he allowed himself to be seen by king. He he rode on a colt. Now now it wasn't a white stallion. That would have been a little better. But but at least he was on an animal, and he came in, and everyone was shouting. And and it's the first time he let himself be seen as a, a king. Now contrast that with a few days later, when he looked like anything but a king. Contrast that with, with the plaque that hung above his head on the cross that, that was put there as, as a mock, as a slam. 
The plaque said the king of the Jews. So contrast those two. He was celebrated that day. He, he was celebrated as he walked in. One of the things they said, and they said it over and over again, Hosanna, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save. Now, now it was kind of generically a word of praise, but, but it also had meaning. It literally meant save. So, so in essence, when he, when he went into the city, they were celebrating him as savior. That's basically what they were saying. Savior, savior, savior. Uh, but in a few days, a few days, he would be cursed as a sinner. And, and, and even though there was fanfare and excitement on his entry, he was, he himself was pretty quiet that day. Uh, as we said, he went to the temple. It was late in the day. He looked around and he left. He didn't say anything. He didn't teach. He didn't talk. So, so there's, there's kind of out of character. Jesus was really quiet that day. But contrast that with the rest of the week. Man, the rest of the week was full of teaching. The rest of the week was full of, of, of causing a stir and boldly preaching and calling out the plotters and, and then ultimately going to the cross. So, so maybe it's included because there's such contrast in this story with what happens later on. Uh, but you know what I think it was? And, and again, it's probably a little bit of both, but, but the main reason I think it was the characters. I think it was the characters involved in, in this one little story, kind of almost an obscure story, but included in all four gospels. We see we, th- we see three characters, not really even counting Jesus. We see three characters involved. And, and, and I think we learn from what they did that it's very powerful. So let's take a quick look at these three characters in this story. We're, we're not going to spend much time on this. And, and we'll see the unique way they kicked off this week, this last week of Jesus' life. Here's the, here's the first characters. The obedient. The obedient. The first thing we see happen is Jesus making a request of two of his disciples. He, he, he picks two of them, tells them that they're to go into the next city. And when they get there, they're going to find a, a colt that's never been ridden tied to a tree. You, you untie the colt. Someone's going to say, Hey, what are you doing? You tell them the Lord needs it and bring that colt back to me. Uh, uh, so, so we see their request. We see obedience, but we see the request. Kind of a weird request, as far as I know. Now, I don't know how it happened. I, I don't, I don't know if Jesus just picked two and said, you two go. This is what I want you to do. But, but, but I, I like to believe that they were walking, they left Bethany that morning and, and they were heading towards Jerusalem. They're walking along, all 12 of them together, maybe a few behind, a few in front, a few beside, and Jesus stops and, and this is the way I would have done it. Now, I don't, Jesus probably doesn't do very many things the way I would do them. Uh, but, but I think this is what he did. I think he said, I need two volunteers. I need two volunteers. Can I have two volunteers here today? You guys are getting smart. I only had, I really don't need one. I just see if any of you were, were foolish enough to raise your hands. You guys are, are getting there. So, but, but I think Jesus said, I need two volunteers. And I think 11 hands shot up. I say 11 because I don't think Judas raised his hand. Judas was, was selfish and was already worried about other stuff. And so I don't think he was going to volunteer for anything. But I think 11 ants shot up in the air. And I, I I just have to believe that Peter pushed his way to the front, right in front of Jesus, and was saying, pick me, Jesus, 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 pick me. And and so so, so Jesus, I, I think he had a sense of humor. I think he's probably like anyone, anyone, really anyone. 
and and finally says, "Okay, Peter, okay, Peter, you you can go." And then then Peter probably in, in his style would have said, "Hey, Jesus, can I take my brother? Can can Andrew go with me?" And he grabs Andrew by his arm, pulls him up, and so Jesus says, "Okay, Peter and Andrew, you can go." And then then Peter says to him, "Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do?" And then Jesus says, "You're going to go steal a colt. I mean, you're going to go get a colt and bring it back to me." Uh, I, I imagine on their way. Uh, their way to the next city, which probably was Bethpage. I imagine on their way there, Andrew looked over at Peter and said, thanks, brother. Thanks for volunteering me. We're going to get in so much trouble. What if the guy doesn't give us the cold? What if he, what if he gets mad at us? What if he starts hollering and someone comes and th- this, this could, this could turn bad. And, and I wonder if they didn't, if they didn't begin to go over some scenarios in their head, some ways to get around this. I wonder if they didn't kind of think to themselves, well, well, let's do this. Let's tell Jesus that we didn't find the colt. I know that's a little white lie, but let's just not look very close. Let's just kind of keep our heads down. We didn't see a colt, Jesus. They must must not have been there. Uh, uh, and then maybe they thought, well, well, maybe we tell Jesus that when we got there, we untied it. And as soon as we untied it, the guy that owned it pulled a sword on us. And he pulls his sword out. And we're like, oh, okay, okay. And we walked away. Jesus, you're going to have to deal with that guy. You, you can zap him if you want to, uh, but, but we thought we better back away. Uh, and maybe, maybe Andrew looked over to Peter and said, Peter, do you have any money on you? And Peter, I don't know if they had pockets in their robes. I don't know where they kept their, they probably had just a little purse and Jesus, or Peter opens it up. Well, I just have a couple, a couple coins here. They said, well, if we pull our money, we can rent the donkey. It's only going to be for, a, for a few hours. So we can offer the guy, then we won't get in trouble, but, now, I don't know if any of that happened. I, I, I've got to believe that they thought it. i got to believe that maybe they discussed it. But here's what we know they did. They obeyed. They obeyed. Now, why did, why did Jesus set it up this way? Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus had, the night before, gone to Lazarus? And said, "Hey, Lazarus, tomorrow I'm going to need a colt, uh, a foal of a donkey. Could could you arrange that? You know, people here in Bethany, someone that's got one. Can you go get that? Have it here tomorrow morning. And and I am confident that Lazarus would have done it. After all, Lazarus kind of owed Jesus, didn't he? Uh, if you remember, it wasn't much before this that Lazarus got sick and died." And, and was in a tomb for three days and Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he come walking out with the bed clothes. Lazarus kind of owed Jesus a favor. So if Jesus said, Lazarus, would you go get me a cold and have it ready? I'm, I'm confident that Jesus or that Lazarus would say, Lord, your, your request is my command. It's done. So why didn't he do that? Why didn't Jesus? Now Jesus was the, uh, the, the author of creation. He was with God at creation. He was all powerful. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus just on their way to Jerusalem snap his fingers? And, and, and he could have done that and a colt could have come trotting up out of the desert, came up to Jesus almost, I don't know if colts bow down, but, but I, this colt would have, he would have kind of bowed down to Jesus like, you know, whatever you want, Lord, I, I'm your servant. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers, a colt would have been there. Why did Jesus send the two disciples? I think because he wanted them to obey. He wanted them to obey in faith. Now, now catch this. 
Every time Jesus asks us to do something for him, he could do it himself and do it better. But he wants us to learn how to act in faith. Why, why does the God who created the world and owns the cattle on a thousand hills, why does that God need us to trust him with our finances? Why, why does that God ask us to give money to him when, when he owns it already? Why, why does God say, Hey, I want you to give 10% of your income and, and not just 10, but the first 10% given to me? Why does God ask that of us when he already owns it? God could, God could just automatically fund every church. So, so we, our, our board meets and we decide, you know what? We want a, we want a new building. And suddenly our, our bank account has a million dollars in it. We're like, wow, that's cool. God owns it anyway. He just gave it to us. Why? Because he wants us to act in faith. Why does a God who created the world and knows the needs of all people, why does he ask us to serve people? Why does he ask us to notice the people that are hurting, the people that are sick, the people that have no... Why does he ask us to step out and serve them so we'll act in faith? Why does the God who created the world and could with a wave of his hand or or with a nod of his head or, or a simple word. Why does the God who created the world and, and could simply command everyone to obey him, could command everyone to bow on a knee to him and serve him and accept Jesus as their Savior, why does that God instead ask us to be his witnesses? Why does he ask us to tell others about Jesus? Why does he ask us to touch other people with his message, to have us act in faith. So, so why did Jesus need a couple of his disciples to be put in an uncomfortable position when he could have done it himself to act in faith? Can I says, suggest that every time God speaks to us in his word, whether it's in a, in in the the Bible or a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or through someone else, every time God speaks to us through His Word, or the Holy Spirit whispers into our heart that God wants us to do something for Him, He could do it better Himself. But He wants us to act in faith. So 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 the obedient that that we, we see the obedient we see the request and and then we see the reward. Now the text doesn't tell us this, but I believe it came, I, I believe these two disciples, whether it was Peter and Andrew or two others, I, I believe when they, they got the, the colt and brought it back to Jesus, when they approached the others and Jesus, I bet there was a smile on their face and I bet Jesus had a smile on his face and as they approached, I imagine they said, Jesus, you won't believe this. It happened just like you said. We walked up and, and we walked up that colt and there was a couple guys sitting over there. They were kind of eyeing us. They are kind of giving us an evil eye. And, and when we started to untie it, one of them stood up and he had a cane in his hand. He kind of pointed that cane at us. What are you guys doing? And we said, we, we were nervous, but we said, the Lord needs it. And they just sat down. And he said, take it. Jesus, it was amazing. See, every time we act in faith, every time God speaks to us, and, and we do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if we don't know how it's going to work, every time we act in faith, we're rewarded with the knowledge, the knowledge that God was faithful to us. So we see, 
we, we see first of all the obedient. Uh, uh, the second thing we see is the submission. Several years ago, I was invited my, by my good friend Jerry Thomas to a cattle roundup. Uh, they, they were going to round up cattle. His brother was there. They had a few other guys and, and, uh, they, they were going to do this roundup and we were, we were going to ride horses. And, uh, now I was a little intrigued, uh, but a little scared too, because I didn't have any cowboy boots. So I, so I found a pair of work boots and put those on. I didn't have a cowboy hat, but I put an old dirty, uh, ball cap on that kind of maybe looked the part. And I put a pair of blue jeans and a flannel shirt on and I drove out to Jerry's farm. When I pulled up, they already had the horses saddled and tied to a fence there. And I looked at the horses and I saw this one horse and it was huge. This, uh, I, I Horses are hands. I don't know how many hands is a big horse, but this had a couple more hands than most of them. This horse was huge, and I, I was thinking, will that be my horse? And then I saw this other horse, and it was pretty. It was a beautiful horse, but but it, it wasn't standing still. It was just moving around, kind of bucking a little bit and excited. And I'm like, wow, that would be a fun one to ride. Will that be my horse? And, and so I said, Jerry, what horse am I going to be on? And, and I kind of pointed over to that one. He says, no, Tim, that's Mac. That's my horse. And then I pointed at the, the cool, the beautiful horse, the one that was moving around a lot. I said, is that my horse? He, he just kind of laughed. He said, no, that's that, that's David's horse. That's my brother's horse. And then he pointed to the horse that was, that was at the end of the line. And this, this, is, this horse was considerably smaller than Mac. So if six or seven hands is big, he was only about four. Uh, he, he, and, and his belly just about drugged the ground. I mean, he had a big OU in the back. I, all I had to do was just kind of step onto him and and he was standing there just kind of like almost leaning against the fence post. And, and uh, he was like a week away from the glue factory. I knew it. And Jerry Jerry said, that's your horse. And, uh, of course, Jerry knew that I was not a horseman, so he picked the, the one that was almost dead. And he put me on that horse, and we trotted off. And, and we'd gone a little way. My horse was already falling behind, so I did what I'd seen cowboys do. I kicked it, and that horse kind of turned around like, really? <laughs> Now, I don't, I, I don't know much about horses, and I know less about donkeys. But I'm guessing, uh, from what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've watched in TV shows, stocks, you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, that, that horses don't like to be ridden for the first time. First time you get on their back, and I assume donkeys are the same way, that colts are the same way, that they don't like anyone to jump on their back the first time. You gotta break them, you gotta get them used to that. Now, now maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into this story. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much detail in here, but, but I think it's included for a reason. Did you notice what it said in verse 2? Uh, he, he talks about finding a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. I don't think that's an accident that that's there. I, it's, it's subtle. It's small. But but I think they throw that in there just so we realize that even God's creation submitted to to Jesus, even all creation submitted to the Savior. And and finally, one last thing: uh, the praise. Oh, we see the praise. Several years ago, I attended a, a conference in Southern California. I think I may have mentioned this before that I'd gone to this. It it was one that was hosted by. Robert Schuler, who had the Crystal Cathedral, and I wasn't a big fan of his, but he put on a great conference and had, had a lot of great speakers, and it was in Southern California, uh, the third week of January, so man, I, I, I went about three or four years in a row, it was wonderful. Uh, and we were there one night, and they, they were having a choir from a 
inner city, Los Angeles inner city black church that was going to sing. And, and so as the session started, uh, there, there was no choir, but we, we, we heard a couple people. There was, there was like three main aisles that went down to the front of the sanctuary there at the Chris Cathedral. And there was a guy standing in each aisle and, and the three guys in unison began to sing Hosanna. Uh, they started walking down the aisle. They were followed by the next person and the next person. And as they made their way down the aisle, all three of the aisles, people just kept following them. And, and so slowly what started out as three people singing Hosanna became, uh, be, became nine and then, and then 18. And then I'm trying to do the math real quick. Then 36. And, and they, they kept going until, until the whole choir, 60 or 70 of them had made their way to the front of the sanctuary, were up on the, the choir loft. And they were singing that one word, that same word over and over again. It started out when they first stepped up and sang Hosanna. We all kind of looked around like, what's going on? And, and as a couple more came, like, well, well, this is kind of interesting. It's about about eight or nine of them got through. It's like, well, this is kind of cool. And by the time they all made it to the front, the the, the volume had rose. The excitement had rose. We had began to sing with them. We we knew the song. We knew the words to the song. It was just one, Hosanna, Hosanna, over and over again. I can only imagine what it must have been like when Jesus entered the city. Now, now, now it says when they brought the coat that they put their cloaks. Uh, so I think it was the the disciples that laid their cloaks on it first, but they did that, and then then as they're outside the city, they're grabbing these branches and throwing it on the ground. I, and and I don't know, I don't know who said it first. I don't know if Jesus had told him to do this, if they did it naturally, if it was someone out of the crowd. But it might have been Peter just kind of as they're walking, going Hosanna, Hosanna, and then just kind of picked. I don't know how it happened, but it it got louder. And louder, and as they entered the city, everyone that they had picked up on the way in continued in, and and then those in the streets began to gather too, and just just all of them shouting, singing, Hosanna, praise to Him who comes in the name of the Lord. They just kept saying it over and over again, and I imagine as they neared the the, the temple, that the city was rocking with the sound of these thousands and thousands of people saying to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna. Why? Why was that so important? Now, I, I, I'm not sure here, and, and, and I would entertain that I'm completely wrong on this. But I wonder if Jesus didn't need to hear that word. I'm wondering if he didn't, at the start of this last week of his life, didn't need to hear the word Hosanna. I wonder if he didn't need to be reminded of why he was there. And so as they began to shout, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. And literally what that means, translation I mentioned earlier, was save, 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 save. Or if you want to really make the application, Savior, Savior, Savior. I wonder if Jesus didn't need to hear that at the start of the week so that he had the strength at the end of the week to follow through with what he had to do. I think he did. Because we, we know at the end of the week it was it was close. Father, not my will, but yours be done. He was sweating drops of blood. It was difficult. And I think in the garden that night he could still hear the sound of his creation shouting, Savior, Savior, Savior. So so why is that important for us? What what would they have us what would these gospel writers have us take from this? Uh, simply this. We, we need to come together 
in the church. The church needs to be together. We need to worship together. That's, that's why being together is so valuable. It prepares us to, to face what we're going to face in this world. Well, can I sit at home and worship? Can I worship God on a golf course? Can I worship God at the lake? Or can I worship God in a deer stand or at a ball game? Well, yes, yes, you can. I'm not saying you can't. But when you do, you miss the power of corporate praise. When we come together as a body and we praise Him, it is encouragement to us. So why did all four gospel writers include this story? It reminds us that God asks us to obey. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but He has a plan. It reminds us that everything is submissive to Him, and we're asked to be submissive. And it reminds us that we need encouragement to follow God's plan. Because even Jesus, even Jesus needed that. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you today for the story of the last week of Jesus' life. We thank you uh, that this story, where while seemingly uh, a simple story, has some valuable truth to us. Lord, help us be obedient. When you ask us to to serve, to trust, to uh, to to do what you've asked, Lord, help us understand that you have a reason and let us act in faith. Father, when you ask us to be submissive, to just realize that you are the author of life, Lord, help us have the courage to submit. And Father, we pray that you encourage us as we come together, as we fellowship together, as we praise you. Lord, let that lift us up so we can serve you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.